Hello, my name is Paul Hirons and welcome to another episode of the Killing Times podcast, the occasional oral companion to the Killing Times website, an online magazine dedicated to TV crime drama. And in this episode, we go back to Wales to chat to our old friend, Fleer Davith, who, uh, who's been on this show three times before. Uh, she's very prolific and she's the person behind S4C's current hit, let me get this right, Er Amgiedfa, which translates as The Museum. We're approaching the uh, series finale uh, on this Thursday, the 1st of July. Uh, but there's plenty more to enjoy if you're listening to this after the transmission of that finale to what is a really fantastic, multi-layered, and as I say in the interview, completely bonkers series. It's so much fun to watch. So without further ado, here's Fleer Davith. Fleer, welcome back. I think this is like the third or fourth time you've been on this podcast. You hold the, the record for most appearances. Uh, I'm very thankful for that. You must feel very proud, uh, a real achievement for you. <laughs> well, it's, I'm very honoured. It's great to be here. Um, I think that that tells you everything that you need to know about uh, your work ethic, your mad, crazy mind, and just like how prolific you are. Do you see yourself as prolific? Well, it's strange, isn't it? During the lockdown period, I feel like no one felt very prolific. They just felt like they were a bit stuck. But I had this project to keep me going. And so for my own sanity, I think it was good to have a project to deliver. What's happened, I think, is that each commission has led to the next one for me. And so I've just, I've, I see it more as I've just kept on working more than that I'm being prolific. It's just like a stroke of luck. I know a lot of hard work goes into it as well, but commissioning can be so random. I think that when you're on a roll, you kind of got to go with it and sort of that sort of makes you appear prolific, but you still have periods where you just do pause in between productions. But, but yeah, I am, I do look back and I think, gosh, it's over 40 hours of television now. And that is kind of insane to think that before I had my kids, I wasn't really doing much screenwriting at all. So I am, I am proud of what I've achieved. A lot of work has gone into it. Before we talk about Er Amgi Edva, um, I just want to talk about that, actually, um, uh, because you mentioned that, I mean, you've written novels before. I've seen you you'd be a musician as well. You are quite polymathic, I think. So why why did you kind of take to screenwriting? And you say you never really wrote screenplays before you had your children, but now you are. Is uh, it just a different kind of mindset since you had kids, or just how did that work? It's been a, a bit of a creative journey, I think, and I've tended to sort of be creative, responding to the kind of culture I was in at the time. Mm. So. You know, in my 20s, uh, I came out of university, having done a, a PhD and followed a more academic path. And during that time of teaching creative writing and being in a sort of academic 
mindset I was sort of more focused on sort of working alone in a more solitary way writing novels and then at that time there was a lot happening with the Welsh music scene um, that I you know I saw music as a hobby but because there were so many opportunities then for for new songwriters I became part of this kind of new sort of cultural scene of new female songwriters and, and we did end up gigging every weekend and then I'd sort of dabbled in screenwriting in a very small way during that time so I'd written a few short films and I'd done a stint on a Welsh language soap opera called Publicum but I found that I, I couldn't really find it very freeing for my creative process and I, I wanted to keep on writing novels so I ended up giving that up and sort of turning my back on the screenwriting world thinking oh it's it's kind of not for me and then I think after I had my kids then I just I had this pause for thought thinking you know did I give that medium everything you know I could have given it did, did I give it a chance and at that time there was um, a call out for new screenwriters and I thought oh maybe I should just kind of give it a go go to a few meetings and those meetings ended up um leading to a commission of my first series for S4C, a series called Parch. And I really then was thrown in the deep end completely and ended up learning on the job. And interestingly, what's happened since then is that I've kind of realized that it is my medium and every other creative thing was sort of building up to that. Mm. And it is the medium that I've worked in the most and given it sort of everything I've got in terms of, you know, training and going on different schemes and really learning about the craft of screenwriting. And yeah, it's, it's the, the career path that I intend to follow from now on, really. So what have you learned about the screenwriting process? What's what's the biggest thing that you've learned, especially from novels? So you were, you were adept at plotting and characters. What's the biggest difference and the most surprising thing that you've learned, I guess, about screenwriting for TV? Wow, it's a big question because I've learned so much, really, um, <laughs> along the way. And... And some of it is just about, you know, behavior and how to deal with people and how to be a sort of good person to work with, how to not be offended. Because it is such a much more collaborative process, right? Exactly. And that's, I think, something that needs getting your head around when you're coming from a novel writing background where you, you're so used to your solitary craft of having to create this big body of work that no one will be interested in until you finished it. And then coming to the process of screenwriting where you every step of the way, more or less, check it's okay with somebody else, producers, directors, they all have their, their feedback on what you're doing. And when you, you reach a certain crossroads in the story, do I go this way, do I go that way? Right, ring the producer, ask him, what do you want me to do? If you did that with your editor on novel, that you would drive them absolutely mad. And so it's, it's that collaborative effort because you know that the other people would be so invested in it um, when it's produced as well and it becomes part of their work. And to see maybe what you're doing is more of a blueprint for other people rather than being the finished product. But the collaboration is something that I've been very excited by and, and have really, really enjoyed um, working with other people and seeing what they bring to a project, seeing what actors bring to a project like there's that buzz of seeing it come alive. And I, I've been thinking a lot about this. I think, you know, novel writing is about creating the mood and atmosphere and, and a story that evolves over time. And screenwriting is so much about the moment and getting each individual moment right. 
and making each moment sort of stand in for the whole or become part of the whole. And so you see each scene as little units that then, you know, build up to create this episode. And in a way, I find that far more manageable um, to control and to put everything in than, you know, when a novel becomes this huge mass, and I am trying to write one at the moment, but it's just so difficult. It's like, oh, I can't see the woods of the trees, really. It's just... Yeah, it's 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 a different process altogether. Whereas I, I think I've become more focused in the way that I work on television. Yeah, that's really interesting. And interesting that you're actually going, you come from writing novels to screenplay, and now you're going back to writing a novel. That's that must be difficult, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Er Am Giedva. Um, I said that wrong, but there we go. Um, almost got it right. Um, oh, it was getting... really good pronunciation. Okay. I'm really impressed. Good, thank you. Um, it is bonkers, Flea. It's bonkers. <laughs> I don't know where to start with it. How on earth? I mean, I think I said in my reviews, it starts off like this kind of postman rings twice, saucy, steamy, noir, manipulation, you know, uh, uh, a middle-aged woman falling for a 20-something guy and, you know, throwing caution to the wind in a bad marriage. You know, it can only end up one way. And now the layers, are, there are so many layers in this series. Um, but, of course, you know that because you wrote it. But <laughs> how on earth, obviously, Er Am Giedva is, is, is based in a museum. The translation is the museum, right? So... <laughs> I guess we knew that art crime was going to come into it at some stage. And this is what I was talking about. So many layers. We're now approaching the series finale. But what? how did you, did you start off with the art crime bit and then kind of build around it? Or did you start with the, the noiry kind of illicit affair bit and then work out from there? How did you come up with this and start all this sorry lots of questions oh no no it's it's all you know um it it's an interesting process for this particular series because i'd written this um film that my debut feature was called the library suicides all set in a in a national library at night twin librarians with guns holding a biographer hostage and i think looking at national institutions and ways of playing around with them making them suddenly exciting is is part of you know the drive of my work is to kind of bring these um these institutions that are so obvious but somehow unseen as well um into the public eye and so I had this thing of like, I've done the library, I need to do the museum. It's just like the natural next step. Um, but of course it's a different kind of life and you don't wanna do the same kind of thing again. And so as we were talking about the novel writing process, Caleb was a character I had been writing into a novel for many, many years and wasn't really working as a character in that novel. and. I couldn't work out why. And I think once I sort of picked him up from the page, put him into the TV series, I was like, oh, he belongs here. That's why he doesn't work on the page. He's meant to be in the TV series. And so the whole thing was, I think that the little spark of inspiration, first of all, came from the charity shop more than anywhere. Um, the, of the idea of him amongst the trinkets and the dead people's possessions and that he'd lost his family and that tragic history. And then, of course, that then 
you know, I kind of played around with, with writing a series about a charity shop, but then there was something about it that became too farcical and it's, you know, want it to be acorn antiques quite, you know, it's, it, if it's a thriller, it would just be really odd. And so, um, and no one was really going for this, you know, charity shop drama. And I thought actually what it needs is that juxtaposition with something else, like a huge national institution like the museum where all the treasures are kept. And, and it started with the idea of him taking something to her that was meant to be in the museum and that that's how they met. But when we sat down and we tried to sort of plot this, it just seemed really, really contrived, this guy turning up with this object and, and it didn't feel quite natural in terms of introducing her and her family. And we had sort of a botched attempt as a first storylining session um, where it had already been commissioned, I think, on, on, on the treatment alone. And then uh, we just thought, oh my God, it's not working. You know, me and the producers were freaking out. Like, we've got this great idea. We don't know how to write it. And so we went away for, for about two months and I said, I'll, I'll play around more with the ideas. And I was on this train going to Cardiff that broke down. I was there for two hours with my laptop. And that's when I really started investigating how this would open in a more dramatic way. It's like, you've got to show the museum, first of all, in this sort of glamorous light. And then how can he come in? Okay, I know I've got it. Like the gay son brings him along. And then that's how they meet. And it's all very fraught because he's meant to be there as a gay lover. And she's kind of getting a sense from him that he's attracted to her. And it's all very confusing. And so in those two hours I spent, on that train, I just wrote the whole episode as, as, a, as an outline. And I just kind of knew that it, that it worked. And that was the kind of the spark then that set the rest of the series in motion. Because in that large treatment that I'd um, pitched to S4C, I knew what the twist was gonna be. I knew who Davis 82 was. I knew who the criminal mastermind was all along and how that was gonna play out. But what I didn't know was the ins and outs of the relationship and this addition of, of of the gay son being interested in Caleb as well has added another dimension to it. And so as a family saga, it just became far more interesting. And that's what I've found is an, has been unexpected in the writing is that it's also a family saga um, as much as it is a thriller, you know, but the art crime, as you say, is, is gently unfolding from the beginning, but you're not quite sure how it's gonna come in. And then almost you need a yeah whole other series, which hopefully we will get to kind of really get under the skin of, of, of art crime as well, because there were so, so many other emotional things to investigate in it. It's become like, you know, so full of stuff by the end, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is like a Russian doll of a, or a Welsh doll of a series, isn't it? You just kind of open up and open up and um, it is, which makes it remarkable. But I think that's what interesting that you said, because the person or the character that has really emotionally resonated for me is Alan, um, <laughs> the, the husband who, who, again, you dropped a twist in, you know, obviously spoiler alert coming up but if people haven't seen it but you know he had an affair as well you know it's kind of but he his reaction to it, or his place in this whole saga is really interesting and I, I like the the depth that you've given each character and um yeah Alan's Alan's a really great character I think I think he's played so wonderfully mm. by Stephen Audrey and so subtly and he brings that kind of quirkiness, but the grumpiness, <clears throat> and he's dissatisfied with his own 
um, professional life, um, feeling that Della doesn't think he's good enough. Mm. Um, there are all sorts of little subtleties that he brings to, to the performance, but also he's a very supportive dad and you see yeah. that in kind of really subtle ways. Um, and you really do empathise with him in so many of those big scenes when the big reveal comes and he's almost like, you betrayed your son. And she's surprised that that's his main concern. It's not that she's betrayed him, mm. but that shows how he feels towards his family and his children trying to keep the whole thing together. Um, it'd be interesting to see what people make of him in, in that last episode as well. And, and to see where, you know, that, that relationship, that fractured family can go from this point onwards. Mm. But it, it was always my intention that it would feel maybe more like a returnable in that sense that you were buying into those characters and their journeys. And, and yet he's not perfect. So you do get that reveal of, of maybe that something happened between him and Lisa, but that he dealt with it differently to Della. So... Mm. You know, that's it's so interesting, the dynamic between them, because I think you really can sense that they are just in this relationship that's gone wrong and they've never addressed the problems they've had. And it's ended up in this mad, self-destructive place. Um, and there's so much more. Yeah, I want to unearth about about that relationship. Really. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there is a hint that I don't know, in episode five, I mean, people may be listening to this after the finale, so it's I'm not quite sure how they would uh, like me guessing. But, you know, there is a hint that maybe Alan and Eleanor are kind of involved in the whole thing, you know, the, the scam, uh, you know, um, it's not just uh, the big bad villain who I want to talk about. That's quite a transformation. It was like, I think I said in the review, it's like suddenly Cruella de Vil appeared <laughs> in the back of the car and she has a lair. She has an actual lair, which yes. is incredible. Did you always yeah. want that? I mean, without, this is not a, a put down in, in, at all, but did you want that kind of almost cartoonish kind of, you know, Bond-like villain at the end? Yeah, I don't know if it's kind of, if they've gone a little bit too far with the way they've actually portrayed her in the, you know, that sort of gothic sense. It, mm. It's such a transformation. I don't know kind of what the audience feel about it. Maybe some like it, some others, like you say, feel it's a bit too cartoonish, a bit heavy handed. Um, what I'd always plotted from, from pitching this from the outset was that there was a woman working in the charity shop who was actually this kind of criminal mastermind, this art criminal, and that she was, um, luring these kind of young boys coming out of prison into her lair. Some of them knew who she was, some of them didn't know. And so this the whole fascination of sort of Caleb thinking it's some man driving this whole operation and seeing it's her. I always wanted that twist. Um, and I also, you know, Delith Wynn, who plays um, Violet, was, you may remember her in the last series of 35 Days, and she was playing Alwen, a completely different character. So really pleased that she's be, being able to show how versatile she is. And she does have this commanding presence. And I think you do buy into her narrative that she's kind of trapped in this sort of you know, this is kind of world of art crime that she's, that she, but it's, it's a way of making her feel powerful. Cause I think with the original pitch that the idea I had with Violette was that, you know, she's kind of become a certain age. She's become invisible as a woman. They, she used to be quite influential back in her day, but you know, women reach a certain age and they become invisible. But 
what better way to use your invisibility than by being this huge art criminal, nobody would suspect it's you. Um, and so it's interesting because it feels like a series of two halves, doesn't it? And then suddenly we're thrown into this lair mm. and this sort of subplot and everything that's going on there in the operation. Um, and it feels like it's moving in a more sort of gothic direction. But I think that's a really good, interesting jumping off point for another series as well, to see how we can bring Violet into the power play um, from now on and using that location, Slamia Hangel Hall, that looks so gothic and weird mm. and strange mm. and mm. having these criminals work there for her and God knows what's been going on there. She's got sort of bodies buried there. Who knows? You know, there's all, all to play for. So I think... Yeah, she does be, it's it's interesting that you raise that question about, you know, the, her being this sort of archetypal villain. And I don't want it to, to appear that kind of one dimensional because I think that she does have more depth. And I think that something maybe we'll see later on if, if we mm. get a second series of this. Well, you seem very, um, you know, this feels like quite a high concept series. And um, I think that's becoming your trademark. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that with the last two that I've written for S4C, you know, I've had the production company come to me with these sort of yes. high concepts with, you know, man on fire running out of the jury room um, and, okay, a bride dead on her wedding day floating in the sea. What are you going to do with that? And yeah. I think that that then... It, working with those ideas, I think that I've gone sort of for the bold, daring ideas, the high concept things, um, quite naturally. And I've found that I've, you know, learned so much working on those thrillers. I'm taking little bits of, of, of the thriller edge and putting my own high concept onto them. And, and yeah, going for things that just move quickly and are, mm. You know, that the fact that Della and Caleb end up having this kind of dalliance in the car within the first like 12, 13 minutes of the drama was something I was really keen mm. to achieve right at the end of part one. So you just hit that high concept straight away. She's done something that she never would have thought of doing. She's had this sort of moment of madness and it's going to lead to this downward spiral and this self-destruct mode. And yeah, we're going for it boldly. I've I'm always like almost impatient as a writer now. I'm like, I want to get on with it, you know, uh, hit the ground running. So that's that's kind of been my method with this. Um, you certainly have. And uh, again, you know, as the it speeds along and it is just sensationally good fun to watch. And um, but I think, as you say, and, you know, it it wouldn't work unless you had really good actors and really well written characters as well who have other sides to their characters things that you can empathize with and understand and relate to i think so congratulations on on the whole thing i can't wait to see i have i know it's all on s4c click and uh, I, maybe i play i'm not sure no, i couldn't find all the episodes on i play last night yeah, but anyway I think they're discussing with i play whether they can put the whole box set on it okay. the first few episodes might have disappeared by now i do hope it goes on to bbc4 as well like some other welsh dramas that would be fantastic that would be, yeah it would be great i think we're having discussions you know with um an international sales team to see what happens to it so i mean we'll you could see this i mean i kind of felt it's quite an american series and I, I, that's a, a massive compliment you know it's 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 got the pace and the you know the all the different kind of crazy elements that a lot of american thrillers have it's uh, mm. it's good stuff um 
So you you think there's more to tell? You want a second series? Is that that's the plan? Yes. I think that there's more to be done with the art crime element. I think there's more to be investigated with the relationship uh, between Della and Caleb and also her relationship with her family. Um, You will see that, you know, she doesn't have a great relationship with her mother and she doesn't have Mm. a great relationship with her daughter, probably as a result of not having... Well, that's another element. uh, I mean, it's, it's an amazing element, this whole kind of side story with... With Mags, you know, and yeah. and of course, Mags, we you know find out is planning to donate this egg to this couple, and what happens at the end is sort of a, another jumping off point for a whole other story, and those secrets are still lying under the surface, and Della still doesn't know anything about what's yeah. going on in Mags's life. She's no, that's just right. Oblivious, and that's how she is as a mother. She's very kind of you know she sees things in 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 black and white she's very one-dimensional like you should be finishing your education going off to college that's mm. it you know she has this great relationship with dan but then she's messed that up big time as well and so that all della's imperfections are things that she's kind of been avoiding mm. you just got bigger fish to fry at the end of this series and i think it's there's scope for a kind of um a different more reflective maybe second series where she has to come face to face with her mm. own foibles and I think you know Ozark was a bit of um, a, a reference for this okay. how how those family relationships became more complicated mm. um, as the series went on and how the power balance between them was always shifting um, and also I think there's room for another setting for uh, the museum I think there's nothing to say that you have to continue the series yeah. in Cardiff's museum wales has many many museums you could like do 10 series of you know going around all of them slate museum you know maritime museum and uh, a different type of story in each one so that's what i'd really love to to be able to continue with series two is to give it a different a different institution but still some of the trademark themes you know you're going to get a family saga you know you'll get an art art crime strand but also really interesting secrets and lies between the main characters um just uh we're going to wrap this up now uh flea thank you so much as ever but uh what else is brewing in that mad head of yours at the moment what's what's next what's next well um at the moment, I've just I've taken a step back to do some fiction writing, like I was mentioning. Um, I'm doing a just a series, a quick read for the Books Council, um, and it's yeah, a short novel that was a, a kind of a failed, um, a failed film called Anosmia, uh, which is about a woman who wakes up from an accident and she can't smell anything and she can't remember anything. And as her sense of smell starts to come back, she starts to remember who she was in the life before. Mm. And so it's another kind of short thriller, but on the page this time, which is is challenging. And lots of other ideas sort of brewing and being pitched. And yeah, we'll see what happens to all of that. Um, but yeah, hopefully I'll get to write series two of Veram Geva as well. We'll see what happens. Well, I look forward to it. Flea, thank you so much and congratulations on this series and uh, do come on again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.